All right. So last time I just basically introduced uh, what we're going to be talking about and, and, and uh, gave some basic statements, I think, about what God's eternal purpose is, or at least as far as I can see, and, and that's how you should take... I was thinking on the way over here this morning that I'm talking about something that's so far beyond what I have seen. I mean, I, I feel like I've seen enough to share what I've seen, but like I, I also... I'm really conscious of the fact that I that I'm talking about God's eternal purpose here, and that kind of gives me a little bit of the uh, fear of the Lord, you know, to talk about this uh, in a way that doesn't make it sound like I know anything. Um, so I, I just I want to always, I, I always, whenever I, I'm about to say, like, here's the eternal purpose of God, and then something inside of me, like, throws up a red flag, you know, and says, quiet down. Uh, but I, I do feel like there's a there's there's a, a little that I have seen in in, in, in in a way that's affected my heart and affected my my view. It's kind of uh, Julie in our group uh, last or two nights ago was talking about it. Kind of like a, the eternal purpose of God is kind of like this track that you that your heart runs on, and and uh, and I kind of see it like that too. I feel like w- once you start to see a little bit of, of something of what God desires and the fact that He desires so- something, I mean, even just that, because I think most people just think that God, you know, made the world and then people screwed up and God said, oh, crud, uh, I'll save the nice ones, you know, and then uh, whatever. I don't know what, I don't know what people exactly think, but there, but there was something behind the creation. There was something, uh, uh, motivating him, and or or maybe better to say there was a motivation living inside of him. I don't know. I don't want to put anything outside of God as like acting upon him. I don't think that's the way to talk about it. I think that part of God's nature, as we said last time, uh, are these two realities called love and glory. Love being the the aspect of God's nature to to give himself, to share himself, and to pour out himself. That's that's not just something God feels, that's part of who God is. He, he's, you know, John says God is love. And what does that mean? Well, I don't know, but I think part of it is that part of the very constitution of God, the very being of God, is this, is this, giving of himself. And that's really what you see in Scripture. God didn't have to make anything. He didn't have to reveal himself. He, he, he didn't have to do anything that he did. And yet he is always revealing himself, making himself known, and if that weren't enough, inviting us in to who he is. Now that's, that's, that's really, if, if you can kind of like take a bunch of steps back from all the Christianity that you've... Uh, you've been involved with and, and all the assumptions and presuppositions that you've just kind of accepted since you were a kid because you've heard it a bunch of times or whatever and just think that natural creation came out from a desire of God that he actually wants something and that and that he that, that he made natural things according to this desire and that he and part of this desire that's in his heart or part of what motivates him 
because it is him, is this, this, this thing that is totally opposite to everything that we are by nature. Everything, you know, what we are by nature is this, uh, this fallen Adamic man that wants to take things. And that's just what we do. We, we drive down the street, we see something that looks nice and we pull over and buy it. You know, we, we, we see a person that we want to date and we, you know, we call them and, and try to make them our own, you know, or whatever. We, that's just how natural love and, and, but, but God, part of his being is this, this nature, this, this, uh, I don't know how to describe it very well, but I feel like I've seen, seen it to some degree and, and love it. Um, is this um, this part of his constitution that is always wanting to to share everything that he is, and he he's always had that relationship with his son. He's always had a relationship, in other words, where everything that the father is, he has been giving it to the son. Constant. Now, didn't just give it; he's constantly giving it. And, and then the son becomes the very expression of what he's receiving. Okay? And that's what you see like in Hebrews chapter 1 it says, The son is the radiance of his glory. The exact representation of his nature. And, and, or, you know, the word of God, or Jesus says, the father loves me and has given everything into my hands, or the father loves me and showing me all things that he is doing. Now those are, Jesus isn't just saying the father likes me or loves me and because he feels this way, he's doing something. He's defining the actual love itself. He's saying, look, here's what the father's love is. He gives me everything, you know, here's what the father's love, here's the nature of his love. He hides nothing from me. And then, therefore, Jesus becomes this, this vessel of that reality So, in such a way that for, for people to see him is to see the Father, you see? And so love and glory, that's, and that's kind of what I, one of the things I think I drew last time. Love, love is the Father giving himself glory is that greater that enlarged expression or not a change re- I mean we don't add he doesn't get anything back in glory that didn't come from him to begin with okay we don't like add stuff to it and and, and Jesus didn't either he said I don't do my own will I don't do my you know I don't these aren't my words these aren't my works this isn't my will he he became this vessel of that that, re, that received. Now I know he's the second person of the Trinity, the uncreated God. But but still, when you look at him as as um, as a uh, as a man that walked on the earth, he was this uh, walking receptacle and showcase of all that God God is and God has. Now. Um, I say all that because, first of all, because I feel like that gives us an idea of what the eternal purpose of God is. What you see in the seed, God wants to see in the harvest. What you see in the form, the small form, of, or the, or the, the earthly, natural body of Christ, God desires to have that same thing in the resurrected body of Christ, which is the church. Okay? The church is the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. 
I know that Jesus came out from the tomb, and I know that Jesus had had some kind of physical form. I'm not denying the bodily resurrection of Christ. Absolutely, that's real. And yet, he didn't let anyone really know him in that 40-day resurrected form. He didn't let anyone touch him really. I mean, maybe quickly a touch of the hole of the hand, and then he disappeared. He didn't want to be known and related to in that form. That wasn't the body that that believers were going to cling to and know after the resurrection. There was a greater body, a greater experience of that body, maybe you could say. Not just the head coming back from the dead, but a... a a corporate resurrected, a corporate body that shares his resurrected life. It becomes the expression of it. And so, anyway, I'm, I'm saying all that because the what you see in the seed, again, what you see in the seed is what God desires in the full-grown plant. And what is that? Well, you, it's a it's a body, a corporate body, and again, we can you can you can call it. We talked talk about it last week. You can call it a temple, a bride, a kingdom, a land, a harvest. Uh, what else? There's a, I made a list of there's like nine or ten of them that popped in my head. All of them have to do with this same. It's all just angles. Um, of or different perspectives of God describing the 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 same thing. What is that thing? It's a it's a corporate entity that receives all that God is and has love. And now the way and we can get into all this and, and we have before, but the way that the only way that God can love you is through the cross. That's the only way because that's the way He empties the vessel and that's the way He fills the vessel. You understand? The cross is how He removes everything from you that is in the way of what He wants to give you, and it's also how He gives you everything that He has and is. So the cross is both the dumping out of the of the of the Adamic nature out of the vessel, you know, the killing, the crucifying, the putting to death of the old. And it becomes the way that the that the new is given. So the only way, and that's why I've said it before, but I'll say it again. If anyone ever tries to teach you uh, or preach to you about the love of God, and, and it's not related to the cross of Christ, just I seriously think you should plug your ears and, and just go la 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 <laughs> until they're done talking, because it's not true. God, you can't. I mean, the love of God is awesome and real, and it's it, like I said, it's part of His being and it's part of the eternal purpose and all of that, but. You'll never know it. You'll never experience it. You'll never. You'll never walk in it. It'll never be a reality in your heart, separate from the from the cross of Jesus Christ that made you fit to receive by killing you, by crucifying you with His Son. Made you fit to receive the love of God poured in poured uh, Romans five five. The love of God poured out in your uh, heart by the Spirit that He gave you. You are a, you know, without that cross, it's like, um, it's like pouring water on a, a duck's back. If that's what comes to my mind. It's just, it just roll, it just roll, it can't soak in. It can't. There's nowhere for it to go. You know, or it's like, it's like trying to fill up a completely sealed container. It just won't go in. So, so okay, I'm kind of reviewing and I'm kind of just spewing off things. But I, I just, I just want this picture 
because uh, that's, that's what I have in my heart right now. It's just this picture of love coming down so that glory can come back up. Okay? Love, love coming down. And that's, that's how I see, um, that's how I see the whole Old Testament, just to be honest with you. That's how I see the... Uh, morning, Peter. Uh, that's how I see. I mean, that's really how the. I, I'm not trying to simplify, but it's just so single in my heart. It's so. It's ever. It starts off that way. What's the story of Adam and Eve? Except the story of the way that God took something out of Adam, formed something that would become the increase and glory of Adam and then gave it back to Adam. That's how it starts. That's the very first thing you read about, you know? And, and it just, every, it, to me, I mean, there, every picture of purpose has this same element. And, and, it, and it's awesome. So, having said that, kind of reviewed that a little bit. I want to talk a little bit this morning about um, be, what's before... I titled the, the my notes here "Before the Shadows." Before the Shadows. I think that one of the most necessary things to understand when you're reading the Bible or when you're thinking about purpose is just the reality that first, this this is going to sound really elementary and maybe even self-evident, but I think there's a million ways that we ignore the implications of this statement. First, there was spiritual substance. And then created shadows, physical, natural shadows, were, were made that came out from that spiritual substance and pointed back to it. Okay? First there was the spiritual substance, and then there was created shadows that point back to that spiritual substance. And, 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 and we live in this world that is a... A, a, a collage of, of things that have come out from spiritual substance. You know that verse, what was that verse in Hebrews 11.3 where it says, By faith we understand, which is a neat thing to say just in and of itself because faith is something more than belief, otherwise you couldn't understand by faith. By faith you understand that the things which are, how does it say, the things which are made did, did not come out from the things that are visible or something like that or were not made by the things that are visible I, I'm not I'm, I'm kind of butchering it but well let me just read it here so I don't um, Hebrews 11.3 by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared or the ages were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible you see what he's saying there He's saying, the stuff that you see didn't just come out of other stuff that you see. The stuff that you see came out of the things that you can't see. In order to represent it, illustrate it, and testify of it. That's what faith understands. Because faith starts to see what's behind the shadows. Faith working in your heart starts to see shadows as shadows and see the thing that all the shadows are pointing to. It starts to see the, subs- the substance of all the things that had been hoped for. And the e- faith becomes evidence in you of the things that cannot be seen. 
That's what faith does. By faith, you understand. You understand and you look past the shadow. And looking past the shadow is the same thing as looking back to the beginning, looking back to the things that were in the beginning. And the Bible talks about the things that can't be seen and how we have to fix our heart on the things that can't be seen. And since we're dead to the things that are seen, let's fix our eyes above on the things that aren't seen. You know? And, and talks about walking by faith and not by sight. Sight accesses the natural realm. Faith sees the things that existed before the natural creation of testimonies. And and I just, to, to me, if you don't understand that fundamental thing, that first there was spiritual substance, and then created things came out from that, in order to point back to it and ultimately to bring you out of that created realm back into the beginning. Back to the beginning. Remember when Jesus was talking about, I, lo- I love this scripture for, for several reasons, but he's talking, they're, they're quizzing Jesus about marriage and divorce and, and, and they say, well, then why did Moses, they point to the natural created realm and the, of the law and the, and the, and the pro- you know, why did Moses say that you could give your wife a certificate of divorce and, and, you know, why did he say that if, if you're saying that it's not in the heart of God? And, and he said, well, God, it's true. God permitted that because of the hardness of your heart. But that wasn't here in the beginning. And he wasn't trying to say that people can never have divorces. Or, that's, that's not the point. Christians always try to make it like, well, now you can't get it. Whatever. I'm not trying to talk about divorce. I'm just trying to say that when he refers back to the beginning, it's the thing that exists. The reality of covenant was perfect, spiritual, and, and uninterrupted in the beginning, in the substance, in the spiritual substance. And this came out from it. And, and in, in lots of ways, the natural it falls short of reflecting that eternal spiritual reality that was before it. But Jesus, I, I believe, was always thinking of that that spiritual substance that gave definition to all of these natural things. You know that he was. How do you know that he was? Because, you know, man walks around the natural creation and we, we just see things. We, things we're so used to, things that, um, things that just kind of make up our day. And, and they're very, sometimes we stop and say, that's pretty or that's cool. Or most of the time we just kind of, you know, drive right through it and get on with our business. But Jesus came into this creation and he saw it like no man had ever seen it before. He saw it for what it was. A whole bunch of pictures of himself. And that must have been a really strange experience. He walked into the earth and, you know, I, maybe he just kept his mouth shut for the first 30 years or so. But I, you just got to imagine him looking at water. And thinking to himself, that's me. You know? Or looking at bread and saying, that was made to speak of me. You know? And, that, and, and looking at wine and looking at whatever, you know, shepherds and, 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 and light dawning in the morning and whatever it was he was looking at. And, and, and to, you know, looking at these things and saying, all these things were first spiritual realities in me before they were ever natural things here they look a little bit i don't i don't look like them they look a little bit like me you see what i'm saying and then so then finally he begins his ministry and he starts walking around saying this and it must have just sounded absolutely ludicrous i'm that 
I'm the bread. You know, I'm the, I'm the door. Yeah, that door you have, it looks a little bit like me. You know, I'm the, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the vine. You know, I'm, I'm all these things. He starts saying that, but he's not just saying that because those things look a little bit like, I mean, he's not just saying it because, like, you know, he knows he's grabbing these random analogies in the natural creation and saying, I don't know, that, that one's kind of, that one does it pretty good. No, these things first were spiritual realities of him. And, and now he was kind of gathering them back up to, into himself. And so when we read the Bible, we have to, first of all, we have to understand that spiritual things are more real. We don't like that. I mean, we like to, at some level, Christians believe that. I think most all Christians believe, yeah, spiritual things are more real. If you, you know, on a true and false test, everyone will get that right. But um, we don't, there's something inside of us d- deeper down that resists that because because of our natural birth, because of our flesh, there's another realm that feels more real to us. And we don't really want spiritual things to be more real. Um, we like we like the idea of having spiritual resources when our natural ones fail. That feels nice. We like the idea of gaining a spiritual body one day when our natural one fails. We, we like kind of having the spiritual parachute there. But we don't actually want to live our lives in the natural realm with our hearts totally fixed on and our treasure placed in something spiritual because, heck, the natural just feels so much more real and relevant and important most of the time. You know, So even though we would all give lip service to the fact that spiritual reality is more real, we, I don't think we really want to live that way and I don't think we really want to read the Bible that way. In other words, I think we read the Bible, and when we look, for, as we're flipping through this, when we're looking or reading through it, when we're looking for the real, like where does where does the rubber hit the road with this scripture here? We always look to the to the realm of shadows. I mean, naturally speaking, um, you know, God speaks of the kingdom. Where is it? Well, it's in the Middle East, in the future, you know. Or God talks about, you know, this prophecy in the in Isaiah is so cool. Why is it cool? Well, because it's going to happen in 2013, you know. That's why it's that's why it's important, you know. Or where's the love of God? You know, check your checkbook, check your bank account. You'll see the love of God. You know, the, that's where we look. We look to the natural realm. To see the reality of these things. And we're looking, what I'm trying to tell you is that we're looking at it completely backwards. You know, so someone says, for instance, uh, uh, I said to someone one time that I don't think that uh, the, the, the temple in, in Ezekiel chapter 40 is, I said, I don't think it's, uh, I think it's spiritual. I think it's talking about something spiritual. And they said, Oh, so you don't think you don't take that scripture literally, and and I guess it kind of depends how you define the word literally. But I wanted to say, yes, I take it very literally, more literally than if it was built with stone in a place. You see, that that response assumes that liter- the most literal is the most natural, and that's not true. That's looking at things backwards. If you, 
for God, do you think that for God, the most real is the spiritual, eternal, never changing realities in his son? Or do you think it's a physical block, shadowy copy made in the natural realm that is very temporary and can be seen and understood from a multitude of different perspectives. I mean, what one do you think is more real to, to, to the Lord? What one is more literal? If you, if you were reading about something in Scripture and you ask the Lord, is this, should I take this literally? I guarantee you, whether there's a physical manifestation of it or type and shadow of it or not, the Lord would say, like, oh, this is very, this is, this is exceptionally literal. This is very real. It's not figurative. There's something real about it, you know? And, uh, and I just, I just think that, I think that that's, uh, that's just something that we don't, that's not a lens that we usually have over our eyes when we read scripture. We read scripture, reading spiritual things wanting to know where can I find them in the natural realm instead of reading the scripture understanding that it's natural pictures of spiritual things you see and the spiritual reality of, of, of life and light and truth and substance in Christ is so usually it's so foreign to our hearts we don't even a lot of times we don't even know what it means to look there or to, or to know these things and, and, and second of all, we don't even want to. You know what I mean? Like, I've seen this enough that I know that for the natural man, telling someone that something is spiritual and not natural is kind of like taking candy out of their hand. Like, oh, wait, that's, that's spiritual? Oh, that, you know, that's basically like saying... You know, you could do the same thing with the crown on Paul's, you know, Paul says uh, there's a crown of righteousness, you know, whatever. And you say, no, you know what, I don't think that's an actual crown, you know, like a, a metal circle. And then they'll say, so you don't think it's real? Like, no, no, I think it's real. I think, I totally think it's real. It, it's so real, but it's not the shadowy metal bar that someone wraps around your head. Did you really, do you want that? You know, that sounds heavy and uncomfortable. I mean... And weird, you know? Can you imagine wanting to live the rest of your life with a big metal crown on you? Every time you see the Lord, you have to throw it down and then pick it back up again. I don't know what they do. Who wants that? I mean, seriously. Or do you just want the glory of, or the personal glory of receiving a crown? Is that what attracts you? Or having Jesus hand you a crown? I mean, what, what is it that you want? What is, what's attractive about that crown that you could possibly make it something natural that you want, you know? Or, or is Christ that crown? And, and he given to you and working it, it's always going to be his glory and his kingdom and his kingship. But working in you, is that possibly maybe what that part of what that crown speaks of? And, and, and you know, a lot, of, a lot of folks are like, well, I guess that sounds a little more spiritual. Probably right, you know, but it kind of like, it's like you rob them of something, you know. I, I still want a crown, you know. And I want mine to be bigger than his, you know. And, and that's kind of the, the, the thing that, that works in our heart. And, and uh, why am I talking about that? Well, because, because we're never going to understand the eternal purpose of God unless we understand, again, that the natural... And, and, and this is natural. Now, I want you to understand this. The Bible is words. 
Now, I know they came from God. I believe that every one of them came from God. I believe they're God's words. But there's nothing spiritual in the pages right here. They testify of something spiritual. And therefore, this testimony that we're going to be spending some time looking at in this class has to bring our hearts out of the words and into the spiritual reality, or we're just like the Pharisees that Jesus rebuked in John 5.39. You think that the life is in here, but I'm the life, and you won't walk, you won't use this like a window to, to see me. You won't, you won't follow where this points you to find me. In fact, you've made a god. You've made an idol out of the words. You're worshiping the words. You're learning the words. You're memorizing the words. You're studying the words. You're putting them all in these nice little compartments and organizing them into theologies. And here I am. And you won't come to me to have life. This Bible, and I know the strange thing is that this would offend a lot of Christians. And I think, you know, I've seen Christians that, like, you know, won't put their Bible on a, you know, on the floor, or, you know, careful with that, that's the Bible, that's the Word of God, you know. It's words, they're all true and they come from God, but the thing that makes them spiritual is the person that they're testifying of that we must come to see, know, and live in. And, and I, you know, I read the Bible all the time, and I'm not in any way, I mean, I, I don't want to be misunderstood and get, get you know, people th- saying that I'm disrespecting the Word of God. No, but this isn't the Word that lives in you. This is words that speaks of the word. And it's 100% true and accurate. Unlike most words, unlike most books, all books, I I would say, aren't as accurate in their testimony of that living word. But we need to approach it understanding that from God's point of view, before there were ever things that pointed to him, there was something more real. And from our, from our point of view, we start, and going back to this diagram here, we start, you know, before there was a created realm, that's what that, that thing in the middle is, that kind of shadowy version of the substance. Before there was, before there uh, was the, the shadow, you know, God had his spiritual reality, but we are born here. We're born first in the realm of I don't know if you guys can see that online, but we were born first in the realm of, of, of shadow. And, and yet the scriptures say and show us in so many ways that the natural, the thing that we call the first, although for God there was something before it, but the thing that we call the first uh, or, or, or is, is a, an introduction or an arrow that points us to something Greater. Paul, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, 46, However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. Talking about, again, human experience, the way we expect. For, for God, obviously, the spiritual was first. But for us, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. And afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is, is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. As is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Well, I think that's how we... um, I think that's how we need to approach this class, how we need to approach Scripture, how we need to approach our our understanding of the Lord in, in general. If we don't understand this, then our goals, our expectations will be set in 
the the wrong realm, the wrong reality. Uh, we'll be reading the Bible without understanding what it's pointing to. It's like a bunch of arrows pointing in a bunch of random directions. It's a free-for-all, how to interpret them and how to understand them. Or maybe they're not even arrows. Maybe they're, Maybe we think that you know the Bible isn't even there. Maybe we think it's just about truth. We just read it and learn it. You know, and a lot of people do. That's not... Uh, that's not how we should approach this at all. Um, so, with that said, I want to say something else about the word fulfillment. And again, this is this is kind of preliminary to some of the more the specific things, but it's 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 essential. I think it's essential to understand that when you think of the word fulfillment or God fulfilling something. You, by definition, you cannot think of the natural realm. Why? Because everything that got everything in the natural realm, by definition, came out from the spiritual substance and points back to it. You know, I, I have here. I, I don't know if I want to erase that. Take the time to erase it and draw it again. But I have here just like one ball that represents on this diagram Christ the substance that casts the shadow or projects the shadow and then over here this picture of the world and, and it, that's the created shadow that testifies back of the substance and and the, the fulfillment of anything that God has ever spoken the fulfillment cannot be in the testimony and that that that's as, I mean, that's a really simple thing to say but uh, I, I, hope, I hope we understand that I, I don't think often we understand that the fulfillment of something God described. In other words, let me give you an example. As you're reading through the book of Ezekiel that I have open right here, and you're reading the things that God is describing, what God can, even though there may be a physical manifestation of the things written here, and, and, and almost always there was, or there, there is, or there might be a type in shadow that corresponds to what's being written here. The, if you're talking about where that thing was actually fulfilled, where do you find the thing that God saw when he described this verse? That's what, when I think of fulfillment, that's what, I, that's what comes to my mind. What's fulfillment? It's the thing that God was looking at when he made the copy with, with testimonies and pictures and words. Where do you come to the thing that God had in mind when he was building the pattern in the earth? Or the words that came out of the prophet's mouth? Where do you find that? You're not going to find it in the realm that is a testimony. You're never going to find it there. It's just like saying, no matter what part of my shadow on the wall you look at it. You can, you can search it. You can dissect. I don't even know. You guys can't dissect a shadow. But you can, you can spend your whole life looking for the substance of Jason in my shadow. And you're never, ever, ever going to find it. It's not there. Why? Because I'm the one casting the shadow. And in order to find the substance of that shadow, you're going to have to lift up your eyes and see the thing that the shadow comes out from. 
right? I mean, that just, well, that's obvious to us in the natural realm for some reason or another. It's not obvious to us in, in the spiritual realm. But when we understand what I'm trying to, what I'm belaboring this morning, that first was the spiritual, the eternal, that which is hidden in God or hidden in Christ, and then the mystery of, sh- of types and shadows, the mystery of, of, of uh, pictures that, that, that to some extent pointed to it, and yet people couldn't see it. It remained a mystery in, in this collection of, uh, of, of testimonies. The, the thing that these testimonies, these natural... Te- and, I, and I put words in that same category. Words are all types and shadows. Okay, Words don't contain substance. They speak of it. In the same way that the tabernacle spoke of it. In the same way that the life of David spoke of it. Words, all they can do is speak of something. They, they don't actually contain that thing. So everything that God has said and done and written in the natural realm points to a, a reality, but, but, but the fulfillment is not going to be found in the testimony. And why is that relevant? It's relevant because as Christians, we are always looking for the fulfillment in the natural realm. Always. Even though Paul will tell us things like all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. Or all of the, uh, uh, all the blessings are spiritual and they're, they're in Christ. You know? we, don't, we don't know what to do with those, those kind, of, that kind of statements. And what we try to do is we try to grab, we try to grab, uh, try to grab something spiritual and kind of apply it to the natural... The natural and see what you did? Now, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Sorry, guys, it was Rod. Um, interrupting the class. So, um, what I'm trying to say is that when we read scripture, okay, we read about, just to make it really simple so you can kind of get the point. We read about blessings, and you go to a church and you say, okay, where are these blessings? And, and, and someone tells you, well, just look at your life. You know, look, have you, have you counted your blessings? You know, and you're like, oh yeah, what are those again? Well, do you have a car? Yeah, yeah, you do. There's one. You know, do you have a computer? Or do you have a nice family? Does your family love you? Well, then count your blessing, you know. And, oh, okay, so all these blessings that it's talking about, the blessings promised to Abraham, the blessings promised to Moses, that's my car? Yeah. Oh, then I guess I have the blessings of God, you know? Or, or you know, you're reading through, and it's talking about this incredible revelation of Jesus Christ, okay? Or let's say you're in the book of Revelation. Not to be controversial, but, but you're in the book of Revelation, you're reading about this revelation of Jesus Christ, and, 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 and you're saying, wait, you go, to, you go to talk to some Christian who's been a Christian longer than you, and you're saying, okay, so this revelation of Jesus Christ, why is this relevant? Why is this relevant to me? And the answer is, because the Antichrist is going to take your guns. You know, or, or whatever. That, that's the answer that some, I mean, isn't that, haven't you heard that stuff? Or because the Antichrist, or because the end of the world is going to shake your house, or your family, or it's going to turn your mother-in-law against you, as though she already wasn't, you know? 
uh, or, or whatever, sorry. Now, my mother-in-law is actually very nice. Put that on record. But, uh, no, it, it, and, and so you're looking for the realm in which this thing actually touches you, and it's the natural realm, you see? Or you're trying to find out how much God loves you, and, and, you, and you go up to your, to your, you know, your standard pastor, and they say, can, can, I just don't know if God loves me. And rather than pointing you to the son of his love, in whom love is a reality and an experience forever, they, they try to pick through your day and find a few good things that happened and, and say, look, he does love you, you know? You got a bunch of crud going on in your life. Things are bad, you know. You you got a flat tire. You tripped and broke your knee. I don't know. Your son's got gingivitis, and and you're trying to find the love of God. And in the midst of this list of bad things, someone tries to tell you that God loves you based on this other list of slightly better things. And and that should just seem absurd to us. Absolutely absurd. And yet that's what we do. We're always looking for spiritual realities outside of the boundaries of Jesus Christ. And guys, I want to say, I know I'm running out of time. I want to have a little time for questions or comments and stuff. But uh, that's not what the Bible is about. And if that's what your Christianity is about in your heart, and I know that I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here. But if, I just want whoever's listening to this some year you know, down the line. If that's what your Christianity is about, I just want to say good luck making that work. Because it never will. It'll always be disappointing, confusing, and dead. If you're looking outside the boundaries of Christ, outside the the one who is the fulfillment, who, who always has been the fulfillment even before the natural shadows were created, if you're looking outside the boundaries of Him for those things and you're trying to experience the love of God, the truth of God, the righteousness of God, the, 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 the eternal purpose of God outside of Him, outside of, a, outside of faith's apprehension and experience of the substance, well, you're going to have a very frustrating Christian life. Really frustrating. It's going to go a million places that don't make sense to you. And you're going to keep having to jump around from one thing to another trying to make sense out of a bunch of shadows that you don't even understand as pointing to substance. And, and I know that might sound sad, but, but the, 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 the opposite side of that is stop doing that. <laughs> and look unto him in whom all things of God have always been. And into whom you have been invited. And, and in the light of whom you can see and experience all these things. All right, I'll stop with that, and we can see what questions or comments you guys have here or online or whatever.